Hi, it's Dwyer, gamblersadvisory.com, a free site, bettingangle.us, a free site. It is Tuesday, August 9th, 2022. Let's talk boxing. But first remember, the opinion you should follow should be your own. Just consider this video to be a second opinion from a complete stranger online. Let's just quickly talk about the heavyweight division. You know, why is Tyson Fury wanting to fight a third fight against Derek Chisora? Right, folks? He's up two fights to none. Right? We're hearing about a trilogy. A trilogy is when the first two fights are split. Right? Think Ali Fraser. Think of Vander Riddick Bowe. Right? Then you have the third fight. You have what we call the rubber match. I don't understand what's going on when a fighter wins the first two fights and then is insisting on a trilogy. When, of course, <clears throat> there are countless heavyweights in the division who want to crack at the champion. Right? I mean, let's just think it through. The winner of Joshua Usyk certainly is going to want to crack on Tyson Fury. The winner of Ergovic, Zhang Zheli, is certainly going to want to crack on Tyson Fury, right? Big Baby Anderson, probably the second best American heavyweight right now behind Deontay Wilder, certainly would love to get a crack on Tyson Fury, who he sparred with. So, right now, in my opinion, the fact that Fury is pursuing Derek Chisora, right, who, of course, is right-handed, isn't a southpaw like Usyk, it's not like Tyson Fury is doing some research here. This isn't the Andy Ruiz fighting southpaw Luis Ortiz fight, right? No, this is a champion wanting a payday. Right now, why the urgency for the payday against Derek Chisora when, of course, the money would be a hell of a lot longer against the winner of Joshua Usyk? Right? So what I want people to consider, and I've been saying this for a while now, I understand their reports that Fury's promoter, Bob Arum, has contacted the Usyk people, right? The implication is that if Usyk beats Joshua, and he's favored to do so, he's a minus 200. In the rematch, then of course, Arum and presumably his fighter, Tyson Fury, would want to negotiate that match, right? What I want people to do is to look at boxing history here. There's a recent article on BoxingSocial.com, Boxing-Social.com, where they quote Juan Manuel Marquez. Right now, Juan Manuel Marquez fought Manny Pacquiao three times before the fourth fight, right? And of course, I never saw the match where Manny Pacquiao beat Marquez. But, of course, the judges saw a draw and two Manny Pacquiao victories. Now, the fights had fluky moments. There's one where Marquez looks like he's starting to open up, and as he charges in, Manny Pacquiao 
gets off a punch at an odd angle and drops Marquez. Right, Marquez's problem was when he wasn't hitting the canvas, he seemed to have the upper hand in the ring. But knockdowns count in boxing. Right, so Marquez redeems himself. Marquez gets the stoppage, and it was jarring at the time. Right, he gets the stoppage in the fourth fight. And it's a fight where, quite frankly, Marquez was doing well before the stoppage because he had knocked down Manny Pacquiao earlier in that fight. So Marquez finally, in fight number four, beats Manny Pacquiao and takes it out of the hands of the judges, who Marquez thought cost him in the second and third fights. Right? So, according to Marquez, he was offered $150 million. And folks, this is a few years ago. That money, presumably if it had earned interest, would be worth a lot more today, right? Marquez was offered $150 million for a fifth fight against Manny Pacquiao. And Marquez, a fighter who I feel won the first three fights, certainly the second and third fight in my mind, right? Marquez turned down the 150 because, of course, Marquez had already beaten Pacquiao decisively by stoppage in the fourth fight, right? Two knockdowns by stoppage in the fourth fight and spiritually was fulfilled. He didn't want to undo that by having a fifth fight where, let's face it, you're fighting a Hall of Fame fighter. There's going to be uncertainty, even if you've had the upper hand in the second fight, the third fight, the fourth fight right? At least in your mind. Well, I'm a skeptic on Tyson Fury fighting Ugas. I believe Fury knows he beats Joshua, right? I think if Joshua beats Usyk, it's going to solve Fury's problem. Because then the two of them, Fury and Joshua, can have one of the biggest fights financially in the sports history. Let's remember, this is the heavyweight division, right? They can have the biggest fight in history, especially if you're dealing with money from Saudi Arabia, right? They're paying big money for fights, right? And I believe Tyson Fury, who's unbeaten, is mindful of that, can put the exclamation point at the end of the sentence. He can say, look, I beat Vladimir Klitschko. I beat Deontay Wilder. And on my way out, I beat Anthony Joshua, who beat Usyk. I'm the man at heavyweight for this time period. Right? That's going to be the mindset. But I need for the boxing community to be prepared for what I think is going to happen. Usyk beats Joshua. Tyson Fury starts thinking about that Hall and Oates song, and when they come to him to fight Usyk, I'm expecting Tyson Fury to say, no, I can't go for that. Right? Fury has to realize you're only unbeaten while you're unbeaten. 
If he loses to Usyk, Usyk gets the glory. Right? Usyk can say, Vladimir Klitschko, he's before my time. I beat Joshua twice. I beat Tyson Fury. I was undisputed at cruiserweight. I'm undisputed at heavyweight. How could this era at cruiser and heavyweight be anything other than my era? Right? I don't think Tyson Fury is going to allow that to happen. Like Marquez, in my opinion, with Fury, it's not all about the money right now. It's about the legacy. It's about the satisfaction of looking back on your career. Right? When I was a kid, I kept hearing Rocky Marciano retired unbeaten. Right? Right now, I'm an adult, and I keep hearing Floyd Mayweather retired unbeaten. Right? Understand, no one hops out the weeds when Joe Calzaghe's walking down the street and says to him, hey, why didn't you fight Carl Frotch? Right? We all understand. Sooner or later, these guys need to walk away from the sport. Tyson Fury guarantees himself an unbeaten record if he retires unbeaten. Nothing's more expensive than the last thing you do that doesn't turn out well. Right? So, they can throw $150 million, perhaps more, at Tyson Fury should Usyk beat Joshua. I privately don't think he takes the money. I think he enjoys walking down the street, as many of us would, acknowledged as the heavyweight champion. Right? I think he understands that a loss would change everything. Put a different way, probably the best British heavyweight champion before Fury, Lennox Lewis, fought against Vitaly Klitschko, who accepted the fight. He was preparing for a different opponent, but Klitschko accepted the fight on two weeks' notice. Then gave Lennox Lewis one of the hardest fights of Lewis's career. Folks, it's a classic. Right? To me, it's one of the most important heavyweight fights in history. Right? Well, just understand, the fight ends on cuts. Right? Vitaly Klitschko had a cut around his eye. The ref ruled he couldn't continue. If ever there was a fight demanding a rematch... It was that one. Lennox Lewis retired. Right? He could say, as he can today, look, I didn't avoid Vitaly Klitschko. I fought him. I beat him. Right? Folks, just because the money is there doesn't mean that even a great champion whether it's Lennox Lewis, whether it's Tyson Fury, is going to take that money. Legacy is important. Satisfaction over your career is important. Lennox Lewis saw enough of Vitaly Klitschko to know, I don't want to face this brother again. Right? It doesn't take much 
in watching Usyk. Slick, southpaw, right, small, agile, just like Steve Cunningham, who dropped Tyson Fury. For an observer, a student of the game like Tyson Fury, to realize, if I fight this guy, it's going to be a problem. Right, you can call Usyk a lot of things, you can't call him big and clunky. Right, so, let's see what happens, but just to understand some great fighters. Juan Manuel Marquez, for example, have passed on huge financial offers. Huge financial offers in the past. Why do we feel the present is going to be any different? Let's continue. Let me also point out, too, that if Tyson Fury were to walk away from the sport, let's not confuse ourselves. Lord knows there are a lot of people who would generate box office against Usyk. Right? Deontay Wilder. If he were to fight Usyk, folks, that's a huge fight. That's a multi-million dollar fight. Right? Usyk could then say, well, I beat Joshua, who was the champ when I got to heavyweight, had multiple belts, and then I beat Deontay Wilder, who had the WBC title for five years. Right? Understand, too, you have a whole new wave of heavyweights out there. You heard me mention Big Baby Anderson. Right? Philip Erkovic, I think, is dangerous. The winner of the Zhang fight, that person's going to be dangerous. Understand, the Joseph Parker-Andy Ruiz fight is between two former heavyweight champions. Let's just say the heavyweight division is the glamour division. And, of course, you have a lot of storylines in that division. Let's shift gears. You know, when Michael Jordan left the game of basketball, there was another guy, Allen Iverson, who started winning scoring titles. Right, Iverson's idol, ironically, was Michael Jordan. But Iverson didn't know one of the big things about Michael Jordan. One of the secret sauces that made Jordan one of the guys in the conversation for the greatest of all time. Right, Iverson started getting heat from the press. He's in Philly. <laughs> right? The Philly press is like the Chicago press. It's like the Boston press. It's like the New York press. Folks, they're tough. Right, Steve Carlton one time had a guy vote against him for Cy Young, and that guy turned out to be a writer from Philly, right? Where else? Carlton's team location. Well, I understand Allen Iverson was getting a lot of heat from the press for not playing hard in practice. And Iverson, who idolized Jordan, in an interview said, come on, man, it's practice, man. We're talking practice, man. Well, what I want people to understand is that for the greats, practice is what's important. The hard part of the fight is the practice. Understand nobody practiced harder than Michael Jordan.
right? Kobe got in trouble with teammates because he wanted guys like Shaq to practice hard, right? It's in the practice. It's in the time between games, in boxing, between fights, where you can figure out who the great fighters are. So let me just point out, right? Think about the guys who always looked in shape. You never saw them out of shape. And then in fights, they seem to have stamina, right? The guy was always prepared. The guy was always alert, right? You understood. You never had to worry about the guy being in shape for a fight. Maybe the guy had some injuries, but you understood the guy took the sport seriously. He was going to be prepared. When he signed a fight, even a Mike Tyson, you understood the guy did so with a game plan to come to win. Let's name some of those fighters. Evander Holofield. Right? I know there's a moment there where Evander had some health problems. But you knew he never had motivational problems. Always in shape. Right? Vladimir Klitschko. I know. There's a moment in Klitschko's career where he got caught in some fights. Corey Sanders. Right? Ross Purity, for crying out loud. Um... But you knew Vladimir Klitschko was going to be in shape. You knew when you were watching a Klitschko fight, he wasn't going to be winded suddenly in the seventh round. Right? Floyd Mayweather. Say what you want about Mayweather. And keep in mind, with Mayweather, we're talking about a guy who went from division to division. Right? There's some weight gains in Floyd's career as Floyd got older, just like there is with Manny Pacquiao. But you knew even when Floyd was in against a heavier fighter, Oscar De La Hoya, Floyd was going to be in shape. Floyd came to win. Floyd had a strategy in mind. With Mayweather, you never had to stop and think, is Floyd going to be physically ready for this fight? You knew he was. You understood before the fight, Floyd was out there keeping himself in shape. You know, whatever the image, we can, you know, speculate about Floyd in strip clubs. I've watched some of these promotional films before Floyd fights. You know how they do it these days where they talk with the fighters and Floyd's trying to throw an image of being in strip clubs and all this other stuff. I guess he owned a strip club at one time. Well, you understood that Floyd could own what he wanted. Floyd could own what he wanted. But you understood that the strip club thing was really an image thing. You knew come fight night, Floyd was the guy who was going to be completely prepared for the fight. Now the problem with, and let's be blunt, both Adrian Broner and Omar Figueroa is that these are guys who you don't know that about. Right? In Broner's case, he might take the strip club a little bit too seriously. Right? These are guys who've had problems making weight. There was a fight a while back. It was Adrian Broner against Adrian Granados. 
And I looked at the line. I said, hey, I might be interested in this fight, but I wasn't exactly sure what weight class. I was searching, trying to do research like everybody. And the weight class was nebulous. And I thought, how is that possible in boxing? Right? Isn't this a regulated sport? Don't you know what a welterweight fight's going to be at welterweight? And, of course, the reason why was because, like Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., right, Adrian Broner's weight was bouncing before the fight. And Granados, who wanted the payday, right, Granados was the less popular fighter. This was a career opportunity for him. Granados decided, okay, well, whatever weight at which... Adrian Broner lands before this fight. I want the fight. So I'm not going to complain about it. So you didn't know the weight class for the Broner-Granados fight until right before the fight happened. Right? Not an ideal situation for gamblers trying to handicap a match. Right, take this Chris Eubank Connor Ben fight that's being discussed. By the way, I'm on Eubank all day in that fight. Right? Right now we're hearing about a catch weight and they're talking, but they won't tell you the catch weight. Doesn't that make all the difference in the world? If it's at middleweight, oh, I'm on Eubank all day. But if I hear that Eubank's fighting at 152 or something like that, has to drain himself, there does come a certain point where you say, "Hey, I, I'm not <laughs> That that's too much weight loss. Right? The Canelo Golovkin fight, let's face it. At 168, you say, okay, that that's a competitive fight. That's a good fight. If Canelo had to drop down now to 160, wouldn't that impact how you see the fight? Well, let's just say both of these guys have had weight problems. Understand, it's perilous picking older fighters who don't have that Holofield Vladimir Klitschko mindset. Right? You understand. You know, the guys who keep themselves in shape, the guys who are prepared to win, have options that other fighters don't have. Right? George Foreman, who beats Michael Moore, Understand, early in that fight, George Foreman realized, hey, man, I need to take this fight a few rounds. Right? This is big George Foreman, hard-hitting George Foreman, knockout puncher George Foreman, even when he was older. Foreman understood, hey, you know, let's have this fight drag into the later rounds, then I'll come in and hit the guy. When the guy's tired, when the guy's worn down, because Foreman understood if he hit more hard early, the young man might then spend the rest of the fight moving away from him. Foreman didn't want that. Foreman, the puncher, wanted more to think he could take his punch, wanted more to get complacent. So Foreman was in shape to go into the later rounds. And this was a knockout puncher. This is a guy who stopped Joe Fraser in the second round. So here, just understand. You need to look at that weigh-in closely for this Broner-Figueroa fight. Right? If one of these guys looks out of shape, if you're hearing stories that one guy had to be in the sauna, had to lose 12 pounds to make weight, that changes everything. 
right? When you're in your 30s, your body doesn't have the opportunity to recover. Now, let's talk about the actual styles of the fights. And I'm going to say some hard things about some admitted great fighters. Some obvious Hall of Famers, including a guy I mentioned earlier, Rocky Marciano. Right, folks? I know they're great fighters. But understand, in boxing, it's about styles. Some of it is an illusion. Some fighters are hiding a lack of certain attributes. So, Omar Figueroa wants to come inside, right? Has his head moving, right? He is able to bend. Very hard to find his head. So if you're an upright fighter, you're going to have a hard time if you're chasing Figueroa's head. Right? Now, Figueroa doesn't have a back foot. Right? You wonder how that's possible for a guy who was unbeaten until the Ugas fight. Right? But what I want people to do is to understand Figueroa's style of fighting, where he's moving his head, where he's low, where he's trying to come inside and then hit you with shots, where he doesn't have a back foot. Isn't that the game of, let's name, three great fighters, all heavyweights, all Hall of Famers? Wasn't that the game of Jack Dempsey? Right? The Manasseh Mauler would come in, he's moving his head. Dempsey feasted on big guys, guys who were bigger than him. So Dempsey's coming in even lower. Then, of course, you can't find his head, you can't find him, and oh, here he is throwing hellacious shots up close to you. Right, Jack Dempsey? Another big puncher. Rocky Marciano. No back foot. Right, let's be clear, no back foot. Moved his head. Shorter. Comes in low. Gets inside. Heavy puncher. One of boxing's hardest punchers, pound for pound. Right, works over your interior. Let's name a third fighter from closer to this era. Iron Mike Tyson. Right, Tyson, no back foot. Right, no back foot. Moved his head. Right, Tyson would come in like this. Right, moved his head. Hard to hit him in the head would come inside, would throw hellacious shots, could throw punches from down low. Now, the problem with Figueroa versus Dempsey, versus Marciano, versus Tyson, in terms of style, is I've just named three punchers. Dempsey, Marciano, and Tyson. Three hellacious punchers who that style worked for. In other words, I'm fighting Mike Tyson. We'll focus on him because people know him. I'm fighting Mike Tyson. He's smaller. He's bent at the waist. He's bent at the knees. He's even smaller than smaller. Right? He's moving his head. It's that Customato style. I can't find his head. I'm a taller fighter. Tyson, like Dempsey, 
feasted on taller fighters. By the way, why did Tyson wear black trunks in the ring? It was because he idolized Jack Dempsey, who wore black trunks in the ring. Right? Both guys, big image. Right? So you're fighting Tyson, you can't find his head. He bobs and weaves. Then he's up underneath you and riddles you from the interior. Right? Well, let me just say this. This fight is on the table for Adrian Broner. He has to be in shape. He has to be focused. But Adrian Broner fights a lot like Abel Ramos. That's the fight I want you to look at. Right? Abel Ramos. Abel Ramos gave Omar Figueroa his second loss. Right? It's just a moment of the stars aligning that one of the announcers for that Abel Ramos fight, in fact, you're blessed twice in that fight, was Lennox Lewis. Right? Lewis was a guy who can read movement. Right? Great heavyweight. He could read movement. The other guy was Brian Kenny. Excellent. Just look at that Abel Ramos, Omar Figueroa fight. Lennox Lewis points out that Figueroa goes left to right, left to right, left to right, to the point where Lewis starts calling him TikTok. Right? Lewis starts pointing out that you know where Figueroa's going to be. Right? Again, no back foot. Figueroa's going to be his goal deep in the pocket. He wants to be up on your body, but he can't hurt you like a Dempsey, a Marciano, or a Tyson. Right? Doesn't have that punching power. More importantly, when he's up on you deep in the pocket, he's predictable. Left, right, left, right, left, right. So Lewis, during the fight, sounds puzzled. He says, all Ramos has to do is throw punches where Figueroa's going to be. And understand, Ramos is the perfect opponent here. Because Ramos has a back foot. Ramos throws short punches. And Ramos is a master of timing. He's a counter puncher. So in the first round of the fight, it's interesting. You see Ramos, and he tries to hit Figueroa in the head a couple of times. Figueroa is hiding his head. You can't find Figueroa above the shoulders. So then Ramos understands. He needs to go to Figueroa's body. And he understands. Figueroa is not defensively blessed. Figueroa doesn't have a back foot. Worse yet, he can trade with Figueroa deep in the pocket because Figueroa doesn't hit that hard. He's not a blessed puncher. Right, folks, understand. Ramos, like Adrian Broner, is a technician. So Ramos figures out he can block Figueroa's body shots and he can come back with his own body shots he can come back with uppercuts. In other words, the secret to fighting Omar Figueroa is give up on the headshots. Let him come to you. 
You don't even have to worry about him sticking a jab, moving, leaning backwards. No, his center of gravity, like his brother's, Brandon Figueroa, has him leaning over his knees. Right? So let Figueroa come to you. Be prepared for Figueroa to be hyper-aggressive. You're going to go to the body. You're going to counter him to the body. You're going to move enough to force Figueroa to reset, then you're going to come inside whatever punch he's just thrown. Now, all of the things I mentioned are things that Adrian Broner was excellent at in his prime. Understand, when a fighter is on the strip club circuit, right? when a fighter hasn't kept himself in shape for years, when a fighter hasn't figured out that the main event actually happens in practice, that boxing isn't a series of fights, rather a career is a lifestyle where you have to be in shape all the time. Right, folks? At middleweight, Bernard Hopkins did not have a donut for years. Right? The kind of fighter you want to bet on is the kind of fighter who knows he's going to make weight. Training camp is on learning techniques. It's on learning your opponent. It's on preparing strategy. It's not on saunas and losing weight. I've seen some blessed fighters. I mean, some fighters who really had the world on a string. Hector Camacho. Right? By Ray Leonard's standards faster hands than Ray Leonard. And, of course, Camacho was running the streets. You know, Camacho was having a problem making weight. Camacho looked like he had some baby fat on him. Right, understand how good Camacho was. He eventually fought Ray Leonard. Right, think about this. Late in Ray Leonard's career, the two guys actually fought. Folks, in that fight... Camacho was too fast for Ray Leonard, right? But understand, Camacho let his skills decay, as did Adrian Broner, right? So, the long and short of it is that Broner's a much more advanced fighter than Omar Figueroa. Understand, Broner went the distance with Manny Pacquiao by being on his back foot, right? Broner has a back foot foot. Right? Broner is tough. Broner wide stance. But understand, Broner master counter puncher. Right? Broner during a fight is making decisions. He's making adjustments. Right? On the film, the film of the Abel Ramos Omar Figueroa fight. The film of the Ugas, Omar Figueroa fight, right? It should be clear. It should be clear what Adrian Broner needs to do. Understand the Ugas fight is even more jarring than the Ramos fight, but it's high-level stuff where, believe it or not, Figueroa couldn't even hit Ugas in the body, Right? Ugas in that fight actually is pushing him back. Ugas wants space. 
right? It's high-level stuff. You don't even have to be high-level like Ugas to beat Figueroa if you know what you're doing, right? So this is the perfect fight for a younger Adrian Broner. The million-dollar question here is whether Broner takes the fight seriously, comes in in shape, and is prepared to counter Figueroa to the body. I think he is. The bet I like here is Adrian Broner simply to win. Right? Figueroa, in my opinion, is too predictable at this point in his career. He's in his 30s now. Boxing is a young man's game. As you get older, as you get into your 30s, the sport starts to favor technicians. Right, guys who have a plan A, a plan B, a plan C, right? If the kitchen gets too hot for Adrian Broner in the pocket, he can then move, have a back foot, stick and move, have a jab in the way, right? I think Broner is going to own the pocket. I think Figueroa's style works better against fighters on the way up who can't hit him in the head, and then are baffled on how to go forward. Here, before the first punch is thrown, Broner, looking off film, should know the way to beat Figueroa is by himself, getting low, hitting him to the body, forcing Figueroa to turn, right? Hitting him to the body, reading Figueroa's movement like Lennox Lewis has, and realizing that if Figueroa's on the left side, he's about to be on the right side. Right? Figueroa's not the guy who's on your left side, then who's pushing it further left, then who's pushing it further left. No, this is a guy who's in front of you. The world is right here. He's trying to go to your body. He's trying to get his shoulder inside of your core so we can work you out. Right? So again... Abel Ramos, in my opinion, is very similar to Adrian Broner. The blueprint on how to beat Omar Figueroa can be found in that Abel Ramos fight. We don't even have to get to the Ugas advance film. I like Adrian Broner here, but understand all bets are off. If you're looking at the weigh-in and you're thinking to yourself, what's that? And then you realize you're looking at Adrian Broner's gut. And if the announcers are joking about Broner having to lose 12 pounds to make weight, then at that point, I'm going to hedge out of the play. Right? Weigh-ins are very important in fights involving older fighters who've had a problem making weight in the past. Right? Don't bet on a guy who's older, who has a reputation for not being diligent in fight preparation, who looks like he hasn't been diligent in the fight you're betting on. I like Broner here. That's how I see it. Let me hear from you. I hope you leave your comments in the comment section of this video, not only about this fight, but about my theory that Tyson Fury wants no part of Alexander Usyk. 
That's how I see it. Let me hear from you. Thanks for stopping by.